filibuster is supported through Patreon by listeners like you. Check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster. We also get support from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions for the District of Columbia and Northern Virginia. They handle workplace discrimination, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, and a whole lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Who wants a cute story about my kid? I do. You right, better tell it. That, that's good enough for me. Um, my my four year old, four and a half year old. Uh, she is lately very into um, Elton John. A little bit into Queen. Um, little little tiny bit into Bowie, but mostly at this point, Elton John. Uh, and and I, I started showing her a broader array of of his music recently. And while watching old Elton perform Rocket Man uh, this evening, as we record this, actually right before I put her to bed, she she said, "Is he real?" Um, because I, I guess it wasn't totally clear that he, Elton John, is not a fictional character. He's not someone playing um, a character named Elton John. He is, in fact, a person whose stage name is Elton John. So he is kind of, I guess, playing a character, but it's actually him flamboyant costumes and all Um, that's his stage persona. He's not a, a a work of fiction. And so I said, yeah, kid, he's, he's real. Is he in DC? Well, no, he's not in DC right now. And she just says, I want to meet him. And and I want to bring him a card. Which is one of the ways she shows love to her friends at school or or family, anyone. If she really cares about them, she wants to make them a card. So it's a, it's a big deal that she wants to make Elton John a card. And she really wants to meet him. She doesn't want to see him in concert necessarily. She wants to meet him. That's, uh, I want to get a range here. Uh, has has she made a card for Talon? Um, no, because not, okay. she hasn't. But so, so Elton, part, John, Elton John is actually higher in her eyes than Talon, which is already extremely high. Yeah, it's it's hard to get above Talon. And I think okay. part of it is we haven't seen Talon since she got really into making cards mm-hmm. for friends. Okay. So that, that might be just a matter of, of timing and, and different circumstances. But um, Elton John, I, I think it's fair to say, is now her her second celebrity crush, the first being Talon. Of course. During the season, are you going to tell her that uh, Saturday night's all right for fighting? Um, no, I don't want to walk her down that hooligan path. Um, I feel like Fair. that's a slippery slope once you once you get started on it. Um, my, I, I'm under the weather. My brain's not working well enough to make other jokes referencing Rocket Man something songs. something. Yeah, I'm burning up. A fuse. No, nah, that that doesn't work. It doesn't work. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is filibuster, the Black and Red United and four year olds loving Elton John and Talon podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined by Jason Anderson, Ben Bromley. We're all from blackandredunited.com dot com, where we talk about DC United, and that's what we're doing tonight, uh, talking about DC United and actually the U.S. Men's National Team, which we haven't done in a little while. So um, stretch that because muscle just a little bit. Games in uh, 2018, none, not a single game. Um, that's actually fair. That's a fair characterization. 
of the last year of, of the U S men's national team. Um, before we talk about any of that though, Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, I'm keeping it as simple as possible. I have, I made chili the last week and I bought a six pack of Guinness because I, a bottle of Guinness goes into the chili and I'm drinking the very last bottle from that sixer. So that's it. All right. Uh, I, I decided that I was going to go old school, um, cold remedy, even though it probably doesn't work. I'm drinking a little bit of bourbon, um, four roses, single barrel. It's tasty. Um, a little bit spicy, which is nice. Uh, I don't know if it's having the desired effect on my throat or not, but you know, die germs die. Ben, what are you drinking? Trash. Excellent. No, no, it's bad. Which particular flavor of trash are you drinking? So, So when you have young children, sometimes you just need to run to the corner store. And so my wife needed wine. And so she ran to the corner store and I just, told her to pick me something up and she returned with a blood orange Mike's hard lemonade. <laughs> In her defense, it is not a shandy. It's true. It's better than a shandy. I will give it that. <laughs> I didn't know they were making a blood orange uh, version of this, but uh I feel like that's like the next thing. Everything's blood orange something or other these days. Yeah. I had a blood orange margarita recently at a chain restaurant, which isn't sponsoring the show. And thus I will not name. Um, I've seen some there, blood orange IPAs out there. Yeah. I've also seen uh, blood orange ciders out there. Look, if you sell blood oranges and would like to sponsor the show, uh, email us at filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. If you are a blood orange. Yeah. If, if you are a sentient blood orange with the ability to sponsor the show, contact us immediately. Um, I feel uh, like there's I'll give you my an, personal phone number. I really feel like there's an attack of the killer tomato spinoff waiting there. And it scares me and excites me in equal measure. Yeah. <laughs> DC United has officially begun their first of, of two preseason trips to Florida, uh, which means the roster news is now coming fast and furious. Um, and, It's to the point that it's entirely possible, if not likely, that in between our recording this on Monday night and when you hear it sometime Tuesday or later, there will be uh, at least one signing or trade or or very strong rumor uh, to that effect. So we're just going to roll with it um, and and I guess jump right in. Uh, I guess the most recent player news is Leonardo Hara, um, most recently of Boca juniors right back, um, is official, not officially signed. It hasn't been officially announced, but it's been reported, uh, that he is, it's a done deal that he has put pen to paper. He is in Florida with the team and is going to be a member of DC United's 2019 squad on a one year loan, uh, before going back to Boca or being purchased for a lot of money. Um, Related to that, uh, at the right back position, O'Neill Fisher is re-signed. This is official from Dave Casper on our friend Greg Roach's podcast, Pitch Pass, um, which is more of an interviewee style than than we have. But if you've listened to our show for a while, you've heard 
Roach come on the show a couple of times. If you're a really long time listener, you remember when he and Sebi Salazar hosted Capital Soccer Show. You know Greg Roach loves DC United. He does a good show as well. He had Dave Casper on, and Dave Casper broke some news on on Pitch Pass. So um, Fisher won't be back until the summer because he's recovering from a pretty terrible knee injury. Um, but between his resigning, Hara being in in the fold, and um, Chris Aduiachim successfully uh, beating cancer's ass and putting Hodgkin's lymphoma into remission. Um, right back is looking a lot better than it was just a couple weeks ago. Yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, it was the problem position uh, for the team. And now it seems, if anything, that they've maybe got one too many. Um, once Aduiachim is healthy and Akeem Ward, um, who uh, I believe Steve Goff reported has been offered a contract. Um, so you've got those two Fisher will be coming in from his injury at some point, probably in the early summer is when I would expect, I would think maybe June rather than May. Um, and then Hara. And um, if somehow they get to the point where they need an emergency right back, Paul Ariola is still available. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I feel like we're not going to see very much of Ariola at right back, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, with uh, that pop you just in. heard is Ben somehow find, magically finding a bottle of champagne and popping the cork. Is it Cooks? Uh, can I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to do a brief interlude after new <laughs> years, after new years, I was driving home from the grocery store or some such. And it was, um, I can't remember exactly how many it was. It was trash day. So it was, I guess it was um, the third is trash day in my neighborhood. And so people had their new year's Eve recycling bins out, which are always packed to the gills with crates of beer or, you know, the, the cardboard boxes from the liquor store. And sure enough, more than one had a cardboard box of cooks champagne, um, which our longtime listeners might remember uh, me toughing toughing my way through some cooked champagne one time um and now i can't not laugh every single time i see the bottle because it's not good uh it would take uh, if, if cooks wants to sponsor the show it would take a lot of money for me to change that opinion <laughs> i have higher I mean, standards than cooks if cooks wants to pay us to mock them which it might actually be their brand so, at this point i don't so like honestly meta, know like a, a more meta advertising thing uh which we see some of now yeah um, exactly Okay. Like, well, yeah, yeah, it's trash, it, but it's trash that you can party it's $7 with. Seven dollars for a bottle. <laughs> Just go to Aldi and get nondescript, cheaper but slightly better champagne. I don't live anywhere near an Aldi. Well, move. No. <laughs> that doesn't sound like a compelling reason to move. <laughs> you can for get access- slightly less trash <laughs> champagne if you move. And then you wouldn't be Aldi. in Maryland. That's an even uh, now you've made your argument worse somehow. <laughs> yeah, I two I have two thoughts here, um, and I'll, I'll do them in reverse order. Uh, second, find you someone who, or, or your goal in life should be to love anything as much as people from Maryland love being from Maryland. If you can do that, you'll be very happy. Um, or, but going back to cook's champagne i think this was a bottle of cooks it was a new year's party and some friends had secured a a novelty 
comically large bottle of champagne that we we just assumed when we got there was just for show and it was not it was <laughs> i think it was cooks and it was about four feet tall and it was filled with champagne and it was terrible it was so bad um See? to the point that like we were obliged to keep our glasses relatively full with it and we were f- finding ways to you know finding creative places to pour the the liquid out just to get through the bottle. So it stopped being forced on us. It was, it was bad uh, news fam. Pro, pro tip. If you've got that situation and you need to get rid of liquor, uh, what you need to do is go into the cabinets and find like a plate uh, with a raised lip and just pour a bunch in the plate and then hide that plate somewhere in the living room, uh, preferably like a drawer under the uh, table or something like that. And, you know, if your host is forcing you to drink terrible champagne, then they don't deserve to know where the plate is. They can find <laughs> it later. So back to the right back yeah. situation. I'm, I'm, I'm better fine than cooks. how many uh, right backs they have. I'm just going right past that. I'm fine with how many right backs they have, because I think by the middle of the summer into fall, you'll see uh, Akeem Ward and... Uh, uh, Fisher or somebody else playing uh, both of the right back or, or, or do we ask them? Well, they'll be playing both of the fullback positions for Loudoun United. And so I think it's not going to be that big of a deal because they're staggered in such a way that they'll be necessary when they're healthy. And then when they're not necessary at the, at DC United, they'll be starting for Loudoun United. So I, I'm not worried about it at all. Uh, one thing, one I, we'll have to see how it works out in in preseason. But we know that international signings often have an adjustment period to MLS, and when Hara is going to be going through those first months um, for DC United, he's not going to have really a backup other than Paul Ariola. So hopefully, he can he can power through it. He can make whatever adjustments he needs to very quickly in preseason, preferably, and then hit the and ground running come March. Ward is a, um, a first round pick and, and was probably the best right back available in the draft. So um, there is a, a reasonable chance that in preseason, he shows that during those early months when Fisher's unavailable and Odoyachim is still building himself up, you don't necessarily have to drop Ariola back there right away. Um, a great point. Now, you know, it's still a, an open question. You know, we, we haven't seen any preseason games yet. The next show we have, we'll be able to actually talk about one, which would be nice. Um, but yeah, it, it is a, an, you know, a situation that used to be a, um, what are they going to do? And now it's almost like, what do we do with all these guys? Um, which is good, as Ben points out. It's it's much better than being like, hey, uh, who's going to play right back for Loudon? There's no one. Uh, is it just like a... Uh, the fan that shows up with the best shirt gets to play right back. That's how they do emergency goalie in the NHL, I think. So there's some precedence for that. Bring your shin guards uh, to games with you, everyone. Always. It's, it's the <laughs> soccer version of always, uh, of, you know, always bring a towel. <laughs> uh, left back is a little bit more precarious. I think Akeem Ward, I think right now might be the number one backup for, for Joseph Mora, but We'll we'll see what happens there going forward. Moving on, uh, 
David Osted is out. He was waived by DC United and claimed off waivers by the Chicago Fire. Thanks to Steve Goff's reporting, we have heard, not confirmed, but we've heard that DC United used their once annual buyout to to essentially remove whatever is left of of Osted's salary from their books. So um, he's still getting paid his guaranteed contract, which correct me, Jason, if I'm wrong, is around four hundred thousand uh, dollars for for uh, this coming year. Well, I think I think it's 2018 was guaranteed around 360, um, and usually those deals do come with some sort of um, modest low percentage raise built in. So, if it's not quite there, then it's certainly very close. Um, we we've heard that um, basically they they offloaded him onto waivers at about 150 thousand after talking with the Chicago Fire about how much they were willing to pick up, and then. The owners of DC United have reportedly eaten that the whatever is left of that uh, guaranteed amount, paying it themselves to Osted rather than through the league, which removes that obligation from DC United's salary budget, which this is the first time maybe ever that DC United really is up hard against the salary cap and has to use every tool at their disposal, not to avoid the owners paying money, but to avoid losing any more players to salary cap. Um, and isn't this the first time, isn't this the first time they've bought out a contract? It, it's possible. They bought out kind of smaller deals at some point. I don't know, but this is I, probably one of the bigger ones they've ever bought out. If they, if they ever have. Yeah. yeah I mean, and, okay, uh, Osted, Osted was, Okay, but he didn't uh, fulfill the need, fulfill the role that they needed him to fulfill. And with Bill Hamid back and then uh, Chris Seitz and Earl Edwards uh, providing the depth, there was just no way they could keep him on the on the team. And I'm glad that they bought out his contract, too, because as the Yamil Assad saga has shown, they need every nickel and dime to uh, put this roster together in a way that can hopefully contend late into November next year. Yeah. And, and the amount of money we're talking about, um, the, the figures that Adam cited, that's almost a 2018 Nick De Leon contra contract. Um, so that's a, that's not insignificant. I mean, on one hand, we try and preach that every single MLS roster is going to have some inefficiency and it's probably going to be fine. It's probably not going to be the reason that your team didn't win a trophy. Um, but there's a difference between being inefficient here and there and being efficient to the tune of like 265 to $275,000. Um, that's one that if you can avoid, uh, you try and avoid it. Um, and so um, I'm glad I, you know, back in the day when they were still at RFK, we know that they would not have, paid that that money would have been stuck on the books and they just would have had to make do without that cap space. Um, so it's one of those signposts that we really are in a different era, which is a nice thing. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully that I think the team now has six open or no seven open. Um, no, it's six or seven senior roster spots open. Um, and, you know, the Hara deal is going to take up the last international spot, but you've still got, plenty of room to acquire some real contributors um, on the senior roster side, not just kids that are filling the team out, but 
um, players that you would expect to be making some kind of impact on the season this year. So, um, you know, we're probably not going to see all of those spots taken up, uh, at least at this stage in the season, they're probably going to leave a couple open, but, um, we still, I think have some things that are going to happen pretty soon. Um, it might be a pretty busy preseason for us on the writing side. Uh, that's for sure. But, uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's nice that they're not just saying like, well, you know, we made a mistake, you know, I, and I do think the Osted contract was a, um, a move born of desperation at the time. Um, and I think he might've known that and gotten more, uh, out of the negotiations than he would have otherwise, which, you know, good for him. I'm, I'm pro labor in that front, but for DC United side of it, it does mean at some point there's the a cost that has to be paid. And, I'm glad that it's coming out of ownership's pockets and not just uh, leaving us, you know, shorthanded on the cap side. And I mean, in in retrospect, they should have just let Steve Clark do his thing because Osted wasn't any better than Steve Clark was. I mean, I thought Osted was better than Clark, but not by a lot. Um, And I think in both cases, it was a goalkeeper that, has done better in the past. I'm still convinced that Osted can be better than what we saw and um, would probably be the first to say that he wasn't at his best uh, during his time with the team. But um, yeah, unfortunately, neither one of those signings really panned out. Um, And it's kind of a cold reminder for, for United fans that we're kind of spoiled with uh, Bill Hamid being on the team. Um, for all those years, we kind of forgot what it was like to have a run of the mill MLS goalkeeper, which is to say uh, you give up goals. You you maybe are not used to giving up. Um, And that happened quite a few times, you know, Clark won the job from Oested because he wasn't making a difference in games. And then Clark had one great game uh, at the Naval Academy, but then kind of reverted to form and was also unable to really make a difference in games. And so Oested came back in and, you know, in both cases, it was adequate. It wasn't like, wow, this guy's really costing us. It was just like, well, you know, we're not getting that big play uh, out of our goalkeeper. And that's kind of a big deal, um, which is why Bill Hamid is back on the team. A couple spots where you um, could see those roster spots used, especially for guys who can contribute right away this year. Center back, DC United still looking at potential starters or, or very high depth uh, at the center back spot and um, uh, a forward to back up Wayne Rooney. Cause right now the, the backup forward, at least for training is reportedly Ulysses Segura, um, which I, I don't know that anybody really wants to see him run out on the field there. He's, he's kind of taken over Nick DeLeon's utility infielder role. Um, on the team, but I, I don't know how eager anyone is to see him go up into that number nine spot. I've got to say from like an academic perspective, I am interested. Yes, um, sure. Because I do see Segura has a lot of the traits you would want out of a forward. Um, It's just that he doesn't have the main trait that you want out of a forward in that. He's just not a very good finisher. Um, He's shown that over and over again. Um, Although but, I mean, if, if DC United were defending a lead, I wouldn't actually mind 
Ulysses Segura playing as like a defensive forward, just running his butt off and destroying sure. all of the center backs and all of the midfielders on an opposing team. That would actually be a not, I mean, not a great thing, but you could do you, worse as you a, could do a lot worse de- as a, like as a late game defensive sub. Yeah. And that's kind of, that kind of gets at all the stuff that he is good at. Um, he also, he does have a knack for creating chaos in, around the area, which anytime you're creating chaos for a defense, it means that something good is happening for your attack. Um, it might be a little discombobulated or a little inelegant, but it's it still can be very effective. Um, and this is a team that uh, is designed now with, with Rooney to run on to hold-up play, um, to feet specifically. And I think Segura, his first touch might not be there. Like I mean, it's certainly not as good as Rooney's, but... Um, is that first touch good enough for him to play runners on? It it might be. Um, and that that might be the one thing to look for in preseason if we see him play that role in any games. Um, we're recording this on Monday, so the team would have to bring in a forward to look at between now now and Saturday to uh, not have that scenario. Um, but yeah, it, it is kind of a fascinating idea. Um, I I never saw him play uh, as a I know that was the the wording was that he had played as a withdrawn forward at some point in Costa Rica. I never saw that. Um, so this must be going back a ways. But, uh, you know, we'll see. It, it's it, when I think of of players who are not forwards on this team that could play as a forward in a pinch. Um, I know there's been some talk as to whether Rodriguez could play up there. Um, I think Ariola would be kind of an interesting uh, option there as well, but um, you know they've had their look and and they're going to look at Segura apparently, and maybe it works out. Uh, maybe it becomes it. It, do, it certainly doesn't mean that they should just be like, well, now we've got a guy. Um, even if Segura is a um, unqualified surprise success in this second uh, role as the backup to Rooney, um, they should still be looking for a an actual forward. Um, and let Segura yeah, they definitely be need another somebody, guy. They definitely need somebody better than Dane Kelly to back up yeah. Rooney. Um, so yeah, that, that it, even if Segura ends up being an experiment that pans out, uh, in, uh, a surprisingly effective manner, United still has to go sign a forward and it still needs to be someone. It, it's not just a guy that's on the roster. Um, they really do need to shoot for someone that can make a difference in MLS games because um, at Ro- not just at Rooney's age, but also anytime the team is uh, was trailing at home, especially, um, we saw that look of bringing Darren Maddox in and dropping Rooney in either alongside uh, Acosta or even a little underneath Acosta um, to open the game up. And I think that's a very useful uh, change to throw at teams in games. And right now they can't do that. As Jason said, the first preseason game is this Saturday, February 2nd. Um, for whatever reason, I didn't put the time down. Uh, 4 p.m. Well, I believe it's been, I think Steve Goff published that it, the game had been switched um, to 11 a.m. Oh, um, okay. Which um, I haven't reached out to the team yet because Saturday is so far in the future. Um, but uh, I believe that is what he uh posted in one of his uh, news and notes uh, style updates. Um, so yeah, I would say if you're listening to this and it's Saturday morning, 
really double check uh, because it may actually the game may be about to start if uh, if that's happening to you. Uh, it it'll be against Bethlehem Steel um, at one of the many minor sports complexes in Florida. Um, I think we should expect guys to a lot of guys to sub out before halftime. It's the very first preseason game. Fitness isn't going to be totally there. This is um, a run out in the classic sense of you, you run the guys out and you don't want anybody to get injured from overexerting themselves, keeping them out there too long, but you're just kind of getting a first inclination of how the, the concepts you're working on in training are are going, how guys fitness levels are. Um, But this, you know, it, it would be nice to beat the the lower level team, but it that is probably among the less important aspects of this game. Um, I don't know how much you guys want to talk about it before it happens. It, it should be different from year. I mean, it's this is the one game that is different from recent preseasons past. Um, it's the only team that DC hasn't played in the preseason in the very like the last two years. Um, and it's just the B team from a team that they play every preseason. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely, not, yeah. Um, I wonder if, if that'll carry over. Um, it's definitely not the same test as playing Malmo. Um, oh, I or, miss Malmo. or even playing, um, young coping Sodra. Um, but it, it should be interesting. Um, I, I wonder, you know, Bethlehem's strategy as a, as a team has been to, uh, sign USL requires you have 12 players on USL contracts. Um, and so their stated strategy is to play or to have as, as close to that minimum as possible and fill out the rest of their roster with union players who aren't getting uh, minutes uh, for the union that weekend and Academy kids. Um, so it's going to be a young team and it's probably going to be a team that is less familiar even than, um, DC United is going to be because you're going to have a lot of guys who are just showing up vying for one of those USL deals. There's going to be Union Academy players and probably one or two guys that are on the Union roster that aren't going to be playing with um, the Union on game days very often this year. So um, as much as as much as it's not about winning, it would certainly be embarrassing to lose to a team that is going to be an average age of 19 or 20. Maybe uh, I am curious whether that's a model that Loudoun County is going to be looking at. Something something close, yeah, something close to the minimum number of USL specific players, and then just load up with reserve first teamers and uh, academy kids, which makes some sense if you want to develop uh, young players going forward. Is to you know, the Red Bulls, I think, Jason, you've mentioned, they turn mm-hmm. over their actual USL signings almost yeah. 100% you're, every you're year. because if, You're basically on like a one-year trial. Um, mm-hmm. They give you that USL contract, but you're basically, um, if you don't give them a reason, to, uh, maybe one or two guys get kept over, but the rest of those guys, um, if you don't give them a reason to offer you an MLS deal, they move you on. Um, it's it's pretty, pretty much a machine. So, um, you know, with with the Loudon roster, I mean, USL teams do tend to come together very late. Um, you know, Richmond has been making some signings. Um, fa- I feel like it's been faster this year than in years past. Um, ben ben has knows better than I. Um, but yeah, it feels like they've been in an accelerated pace, and that contrast might not be 
it, it might be giving us sort of an illusion with uh, as United fans being like, well, how are they doing this? And and our team isn't a well, lot of USL since, teams. Oh, go ahead. I want, especially since Richmond is in USL D3. I refuse to call it by its real name. And uh, DC United is in USL D2. So it's, they're also targeting a different level of player. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, you see a lot of guys that go on uh, trials in MLS and the MLS trial doesn't quite pan out. Those guys aren't really free to try out for you, your USL team until the end of February. Um, so yeah. you might even be seeing players joining Loudon when the season is underway. Um, you know, it might be something as, as uh, wild as that. So um, as much as it is alarming that there aren't players on the roster, it's also one of those things where um, USL fans can tell you that like, this is not completely abnormal to have no um, or to have a roster and be like, what's going on here at this point in the season? Because usually these things come together very late uh, in at that level. One thing that we can stop worrying about is who's going to be uh, on the sideline for Loudon United. It's going to be Richie Williams, former United defensive midfielder, won three championships with DC United, went on to coach at the Red Bulls, RSL, um, and in the U.S. national team setup as uh, an assistant to Bruce Arena um, and, and to Dave Sakharin, or Sarah Kahn, sorry. Um, when he was his time, I thought the US long term team was not saccharin. <laughs> well said. Um, but he's going to be the, uh, the Loudoun County manager. Um, he very nearly, I think got the Red Bulls top job before Mike Petke ultimately got it. He was the caretaker manager there for a time, uh, after being the top assistant. Um, he worked in RSL's, set up as well and dc united seems to be importing a lot of rsl in particular uh with with dane murphy and um now richie williams who who coached in that setup as well so uh i don't know if you guys have thoughts on the hire other than the fact that it's it's kind of been kept in the family so to speak uh for me i mean i guess i've got sort of two diverging thoughts on one hand um Adam, you mentioned that he'd won three championships. Uh, Richie Williams was a crucial player on a team that won eight trophies in uh, four years, which is, as we should probably remind everyone else in MLS more often, is a standard that no one in the league has ever met ever since. Uh, When people talk about the Robbie Keane, Landon Donovan Galaxy teams, those teams did not meet the standard of dynasty. This is the one and only dynasty, and he was a crucial part of it. So, as far as reaching back to the team's traditions, um, this is a big deal. Um, this is not a guy who happened to be on the team in those days. This was someone that was critical to those teams. So that part's pretty cool um, to have someone that understands everything about, you know, the I would what I would hope are the these um, the heights that this team wants to reach once again. Um, on the other hand, you know, Williams's track record as far as a development coach and this job is at least, you know, somewhere between 45 and 55% a development job. Um, it's, it's a little spotty. He definitely, he definitely has experience and given the other, um, 
the names that were out there, I don't know much about um, Richard Paez, the Venezuela national team coach or former um, Venezuela national team coach. Um, Marcelo Sarvas is coaching youth soccer with Arlington soccer. He has not coached at the USL level at any point. Um, so those guys don't have anywhere near the experience in um, American youth soccer that Richie Williams does, but um you know, he coached at UVA as an assistant um, right after he finished his career. Um, he was the coach of the USU-17s for three years and the, the U-18 team uh, when it existed for a year before that. Um, but that U-17 tenure, it wasn't that good. Um, this was a team with uh, uh, Christian Pulisic, and they still ended up bombing out of the uh, 2015 uh, U-17 World Cup. They came in And Tyler year. Adams. Yeah, Tyler Adams was um, a young sub on that team because he was – 2015, I can't even do the math. Um, he was 16. He was, he was an infant uh, on that team. Um, but, yeah, th- that was a team with a lot of – you know, Austin Trusty was on that team as well. Um, just looking at the match report – um, Haji Wright, who, who has been well yeah, regarded uh, and hyped this was before Haji Wright's journey to um, uh, Germany and the New York Cosmos, and then Germany again, if I'm not mistaken, is the path he took. Um, so there was a lot of talent on that team. This was not, this wasn't a situation where you said that maybe the group just wasn't that good. Um, they were in a very tough group with Nigeria, who are always very good in Youth World Cups, uh, Croatia, Chile was the host, and they were the other team in that group. Um, but you still don't want to come in last with one point. Um, and it definitely, a lot of development people have not really forgiven it. Um, they've pretty much crossed Richie Williams off their list as a person they want to see, um, in development jobs in, in us soccer. So, um, I can't say that I watched these games, so I can't sit here and tell you that, um, he did a great job coaching. And it's also, you know, it's a youth world cup. It's a short term tournament. Things can go wrong. I don't know enough about what went, what went on there that we can say for sure that, um, he did a bad job with those players, but I do know that, you know, the reaction to Richie Williams being, uh, handed this job was not exactly, uh, overjoyed in the development world. So, um, hopefully those folks are wrong. Uh, and that, DC United ended up uh, landing someone that can really um, get those young players uh, up to the MLS level faster. Um, And I also wonder if, you know, what are they telling him his job requirement is? Because we still don't know. Do they want this to be a team that wins the USL championship or do they want this to be a team that develops players? Um, Because you, you do have to make very different decisions to go those two routes. And, um, you know, it, it's foolhardy to expect them to develop every single player on the roster into an MLS player. Um, if he can be involved in getting three or four players in the next two or three years that get up to MLS level and can contribute, that's pretty good. Um, you know, if you look around at some of the other uh, MLS satellite clubs, it's, you know, the Red Bulls are maybe the shiny example, but it's not like you see 10, 11 guys coming up from the USL team and immediately being in the game day 18 the next year. Um, the numbers are smaller. And so you don't have to improve every single player, um, but you do have to improve some players. So some of these younger players have to get better quickly. Um, and so I'm, I'm interested to see if, if he's up for that, um, 
how much tactical control he has or whether he's just basically given a blueprint by the United's coaching staff and said, or, and told, you know, this is what we want to see out of you. Um, those are questions we don't have answers to yet. And that may be the determining factor in whether this was a good move or not. Well, we'll find out more okay. as the year goes on. I'm going to throw in a quick non uh, important uh, anecdote about Richie Williams. Uh, the first time I saw him play was actually indoor soccer in the early nineties with the Buffalo blizzard. Um, and I just want everybody out there. Uh, if you're listening to this to take the time to Google image search, uh, Randy or Rudy Pikasinski. Um, these two guys were brothers that played for the Buffalo blizzard. And if you could think of an early nineties, um, bad, like a B movie villain cliche for a, a B a sports B movie, these guys fit the bill. They had mullets, they had mustaches. Uh, one of them at one point um, tripped a guy and then did the thing where he offered to help them up and then pulled his hand back and like smoothed his hair. He actually did that in a real life soccer game that I was at. Um, yeah. So take the time. Uh, you'll be delighted. Uh, they're spectacular. Was there ever a, a uh, an indoor soccer version of Slapshot made? No. Or if there was, I'm not aware of it. So probably not. It, it seems like there there should be. And I'm pretty sure if it were made right now, Will Ferrell would be playing one of the Pikasinski brothers because I'm, I'm looking at Randy right now with yeah. the 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 very 70s long hair and wispy facial hair and the oh, yeah. incredibly open collar on yes. the jersey. Um and it's a black and white photo because I, I don't know, color it's, photography didn't exist in the 1970s. I thought it did. I might have been wrong. Um, this wasn't the 70s. This was the 90s. I was not alive in the 70s. You make a good point. <laughs> Everything about this picture screams. Yes. Uh, no, these guys, these guys look like they looked out of place in 1992. Adam, um, are you a time lord? <laughs> very not. Google That's might it. be. Jason might be. Jason, are I you don't the doctor? Feel like it. I don't feel like it. Uh, if I am, I'm not aware. I think you would probably know. Anyway, he's not British enough to be the doctor. Uh, before we get too deep into that, uh, we're going to call this a segment. We will be right back to talk about the U.S. men's national team. Please stick around. This is Filibuster. Hey, Ben. Um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious, in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> 
they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. The Greg with two G's era has uh, officially begun. It is officially upon us. Uh, the U.S. men's national team beating Panama 3-0 in their first outing under Greg Berhalter. Um, it has to be called a, a dominating performance. I think any metric you look at, the U.S. absolutely controlled, uh, which, which is to be expected when you're playing Panama's B or C team even with the U S B or C team, you would expect uh, that level of performance, but it was good to, I mean, to, we can't assume it because of what happened a year and a half yeah, ago in Trinidad. No, you're, you're not wrong. Um, it was still good. To, it, it was good to see the U S come out and, and not just perform under a new coach with um, a new system because we'll get into it. But Greg Berhalter is very much a system guy. Um, even though the system can change, depending on the situation, he's, he's a system guy and you saw the guys, the, the players go out and, and execute to the tune of three to nothing. Um, Jason, the, this game was, was interesting tactically. We're not going to spend a ton of time on it, but I do want to look at some of the, the tactics in this one. What, what jumped out to you? Um, well, from a system point of view, it was a very Burhalter performance. He wanted his team to keep the ball, um, to be patient, to move it around, uh, spread the field out, and eventually wait for Panama to open up and then take your chances from there. Um, that's the the blueprint where regardless of how he sets his team up formation-wise, he always wants his teams um, to use the full width of the field. Um, and generally speaking, except for rare occasions at RFK, um, wants to play possession soccer. He wants to, to dictate the terms that way. Um, the thing, I mean, everyone was kind of expecting four, two, three, one, because that's what he was known for with the crew. Um, I think we maybe this is a good lesson that we maybe ascribe too much of a, this coach plays this formation and that's that. Um, because ultimately you have to do, you have to set your team up with the players you have. Um, in this case, um, the lineup looked like a four, three, three on paper. Um, it looked like a four, three, three in, in between phases, I guess, as a starting point, it was a four, three, three. Um, but it was very flexible. Um, you had Nick Lima going from right back to defensive midfield in possession. Um, Daniel Lovitz was going from left back to joining, uh, the center backs and into a back three. Um, you had everyone in the midfield, not named Michael Bradley pushing up very high, um, and so at times this thing was like a three, two, four, one, um, which is not the normal, you know, in soccer, we're not used to saying those numbers in that order. Um, cause <laughs> it's just, it's just not a look that, that we've seen a lot of. Um, I think if you told me that Nick Lima was going to be able to handle the mental demands of that role, as well as the technical demands of being in central midfield, uh, I would not have believed you at all, but, uh, you know, give the guy credit. That was a very demanding role and he didn't just do well considering he just did well flat out. He had a great game. Um, he did. He, he did a pretty good Wayne Rooney impression there for, for yeah. a minute having the, a, what, a for the second goal. 
Yeah, having yeah. A, a tackle to to stop a breakaway and then crossing it in for a, a headed goal. Uh, it wasn't as good or as vital or as dramatic as as Wayne Rooney's, but um, you know the the broad strokes of the play were were not dissimilar. Um, I I was surprised to see him to see Burhalter using that um, right back into midfield or, or full back into midfield switch. Uh, I think a lot of us, especially since Bradley did this under Klinsman to some extent, uh, I, I certainly expected him to have both fullbacks push up, the center backs spread out, and Bradley drop in between them. Uh, but but he kept Bradley in the midfield, which probably suits Bradley a little better. He he likes to rove, um, but we saw you know um, saw them move the ball a lot and not necessarily in the same ways the Columbus crew did, which I think is probably a good sign uh, for Burhalter. It shows that he has his principles, his, his kind of broad idea of what he wants to do. And then he finds more granular ways of accomplishing that uh, based on the team he has. He's not going to go out there and try to recreate the crew, which is good because there's no Pippa Iguain, as as our friend Kim McCauley wrote, um, that there's not a like-for-like replacement for every player on the crew um, that, that made it successful. Yeah, um, you can't you can't expect, you know, especially with the national team, you you can't not only can you not expect the team to be analogous to your old team, you can't go add guys. Um, if you take over a club team and you say, well, if I want to play the way I want to play, I need this, I need that. You can go get those guys with the national team. You have to be able to do with what you've got. There is no transfer market. Um, there's no way around it. Um, and so this team was built to fit the players that were available. It, it fit their strengths. Um, I think it's a system that is adaptable to the full squad when the players from Europe are available, uh, which I can't remember when that window is. I want to say it's in, in April, but it might be in May. Late March. Oh, late March. See, even sooner. Um, yeah. The the game against Chile is like March 23rd or something like that. Okay. Um, so, you know, you've, you've got to find um, maybe players that haven't been given their fair shake. Um which, you know, unfortunately, Russell Canals was not given his fair shake in this game, which is a definite down point uh, for our perspective, because, you know, I don't know what more the guy has to do um, to, to get in on this. Uh, but uh, some other guys that haven't gotten uh, much of a look, uh, Georgie Mihailovic, I thought was tremendous. Um, he, he I've been a big fan of his for a while, and he really met um, the met or exceeded any expectation I might have had. Um, I thought Corey Baird did a really good job. Um, Baird's interesting because he's kind of a blunt object, but he gets himself into the right positions, which American blunt object players who are either strong or fast or this or that, they usually don't have that um, off the ball um, intelligence. So they usually don't get themselves into good positions very often. Um, Baird's best strength is the fact that he's getting himself into these positions. So he might not be the technically cleanest player or the most, um, a skillful guy to watch, but he gets himself in the right spots and that usually makes him effective. Um, And he, he showed that he can be that guy at least at this level against, you know, we do have to throw in that this was not Panama's best team by any stretch. They had 11 players that were 
uh, in their roster that had no caps up to this point. And Panama's pool is not deep. If you think the U.S. player pool is shallow, Panama's goes to like 12 and then it that's it. Um, so, you know, they dominated a team that was not very good, um, which is what they should have done. Um, a few players did really well. Um, and, you know, I, I guess we'll see some more um, in this game. I don't even remember when the second friendly is. Um, it's Saturday uh, yeah. against Costa Rica in San Jose. How, um, how dare they schedule against a DC United preseason game? Right. Well, hopefully we will see the two DC United representatives for the national team right now uh, starting in San Jose. And then we'll have a yeah. real conflict over what to watch. Uh, like, like Jason no said, Canals should have not started. Yeah. Like, like Jason said, Russell Canals, uh didn't start, didn't play in this one. Um, Michael Bradley got the start at the, the six and Will Trapp came in and Greg Berhalter has a, a great familiarity with Will Trapp. He was the captain in Columbus um, is, I guess, still the captain in Columbus until that changes. Um, Paul Ariola started on the bench, came in, kept good control of the ball. Um, didn't have some of the turnovers that Baird had, but, but wasn't as ambitious. The team wasn't, I think, when they, they had the ball in possession, they were more looking to control it and and kill the game rather than really push the issue and transition tended to go late in the game toward the left side of the field. Uh, Jonathan Lewis and, and uh, kind of that, that's just the way the, the field was leaning at that point. So he, he mostly just retained possession, had a couple of combinations was nearby when <laughs> Christian Ramirez scored. Um, a different pass might have gone to him. Who knows? But, uh, you know, solid short cameo for, for Paul Ariola, I think is, is the best yeah. way to characterize it. Um, he had one moment where he tried, he was kind of up against two defenders. He tried to push into the box um, and make something happen, which the, the touch was a little, a little long for him and, and Panama cleared it. Um, but that's kind of a good, at, at that point in the game, it's a good move. He's not just whipping a blind cross in, um, he's not playing backwards. He's trying to get into the box and make something happen. Um, you know, maybe uh, this was in the aftermath of Sebastian Legette's uh, terrible dive that went unpunished somehow. Um, yeah. Maybe the thought was that if the contact was marginal, if it was on the, the border between a foul and not a foul, the referee might give him uh, the benefit because it, it didn't seem like the referee realized how much of a dive that one was, which was uh, an extreme dive. Um from legit. So maybe the thought was, you know, I'll, I'll make the defender have to make a tackle, um, which is a good decision. At least the, the technical side of it didn't pan out on that occasion, but um, you know, he did the job. You know, if you complete 90% of your passes off the bench as a winger in a game, that's already pretty much in the bag, you know, that's pretty good. No one's going to tell you, wow, you did a bad job uh, um, doing that. So he did fine um, in a game that was kind of already, settled um i'd like to see him get more time in a game that is up for grabs and against a better opponent which costa rica has a deeper group of players so um and i also think costa rica if i'm not mistaken called in more or at least slightly more of their best um squad so it should be a bigger challenge at least you you mentioned something i want to talk about just a little bit more and that's that that areola didn't send in a blind cross and I'm on record as being very against blind crosses in general. Uh, 
uh, smart early crosses while the defense is not set either on the ground behind them or, or to a person uh, on the run, I, I think can be very uh, good weapons in, in the game of soccer, but um, against a set defense, just sending in a cross uh, to a guy and hoping he can out jump the defense is in 2019, a bad way to play. Um, and that's how defenses want you to play. So I was glad to see there weren't a lot of those, even looking for Jesse Zardes, who, um, you know, is a guy who can head the ball, even if he missed a couple of chances in this game with his head. Um, I was happy to see there weren't a lot of blind crosses. The crosses that were there were intentional and purposeful and um, situationally correct, I, I guess you could say, or they, they weren't obviously the wrong choice. Um and so it was good to see players choosing better options than just running out of ideas and sending in a cross. When they ran out of ideas, they tried to recirculate the ball, which is a better decision, I think, uh, especially the way Greg Berhalter wants to play. Yeah, you, you don't just fire the ball in there like an idiot um, is the short way to put it. Um, you, you I mean, that's the way ball. that's the way the English played the game for a very long time. It's true. It's it turned out as bad at things. Yeah, you know, they were maybe not. You know, I, I was talking about this recently. I think at the draft, or maybe maybe sometime right before it. Um, no, it was at the draft. I was talking to someone, and it was about how um, basically Japan, when they had to figure out who to listen to to help them get their um, soccer in in their country off the ground, they chose to listen to Brazilians because there was a. Um, a large Japanese Brazilian population. Um, and then uh, the Dutch, whereas we just listened to a bunch of English guys and the occasional German. Um, and maybe we would have been better off if, if we had listened to um, someone else, maybe not the exact people that Japan listened to, but you know, maybe not as many uh, crusty old four, four, two English guys. I learned soccer when I was in elementary school from a crusty Scott and I'm not good at soccer. So <laughs> QED man. Thanks a lot. Scotland. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Charlie cook. If it wasn't for Scotland, wow, ben ben. would be on DC United right now. I'd probably be uh, I'm actually fond my of years <laughs> from the U S men's national team. I have no evidence to disprove that theory. So exactly that, that makes it true. And I think that also makes this uh, show over. Uh, thank you all for listening. Find us at black and If you want to support us financially, do that at patreon.com slash filibuster. Find us on Twitter at filibuster DCU at black and red U plus all our personal accounts. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we love love letters. We love hate mail. We really love advertising inquiries. So it cooks, hit us up. We'll talk. Um, it might cost you, but, but we'll talk. Um, find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm supposed to remind you that ratings and reviews are good. Mostly I would just like you to tell a friend about the show for Jason and Ben. I'm Adam and we'll talk at you again real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Uh, Scotland made Buckfast, so I actually retract all of the negative things I said about the country of Scotland. Do you apologize? Yes, to, to Scotland and to Buckfast, the drink. <laughs>